In this collection, there's a total of six poems that were made for the sole purpose of exploring complex topics and experiences that deal with race, toxic masculinity, the objectification of women and abusive relationships, and the cycle of violence. The poems La Niña de Mis Ojos and The Secret Life of the Prey both have very similar topics regarding the objectification of women. The poem La Niña de Mis Ojos is based off my experience of growing up in a majority undocumented immigrant community where all my friends at one point or another were physically abused by family members, church members, etc. The reality for many of these families and young girls was that speaking up was not always an option, whether it was because they felt like they had to protect their families who were in a financially vulnerable situation or because their families didn't trust government authorities. The thing in my community is that there's a very real and intense fear of police because a lot of these individuals could face deportation or don't have legal status while experiencing sexual abuse on the U.S. can be grounds for becoming a legal resident or a citizen. The misinformation makes it difficult um, to speak up and often leads to an action. Something that has always stayed with me from these experiences is the consequences of these families not having the emotional resources to deal with the situation of sexual abuse or being too afraid because their status of vulnerability or even because they simply didn't know how to handle it. Um, what stuck out was the resounding silence that remains in these families. For many of the women I grew up with, these incidents and how they were handled resulted in life-altering consequences that affected their relationship with men and their mothers. I thought was I thought that something that's an important point to bring up. I thought that this was something like I thought this was some I thought this was an important point to bring up because it captures the vulnerability of such an intersectional identity of being undocumented migrants and being a woman and how a larger culture that protects sexual abusers and demonizes those abuse can really impact people and weaponize the very system that is supposed to protect them. The poem, The Secret Life of the Prey, is meant to capture the predatory behavior that is embraced by the larger culture and society that forces women to live in fear and develop survival mechanisms. The poem was written with nature documentaries in mind because through thinking the concept of the sexualization and objectification of women that often pinholes them in certain roles, I found that it has resulted in a prey-to-predator relationship between men and women. The decision to include and quote abusers as fathers, brothers, uncle, grandfather, male stranger, male friend in that particular order was in consideration the most victims of sexual abuse. Find that their abusers are people they know more than likely more than likely that it would be someone they don't know. And those poem in this poem I attempted to highlight the idea of women as property that has transcended through time. 
This idea can be explored through a reading by Brittany Cooper called The Smartest Men I Never Knew. And this, in this reading, you can find similar themes of having to distrust even family members, in this case, her father. Her situation is slightly different than what I try to convey in the poem because her father's predatory and aggressive behavior is directed towards her mother. But despite that, I think that there's this reality that women have to learn to distrust even those closest to them. I think it's extremely important to consider the amount of stress and the impact on mental health that it causes for women to constantly have to be preoccupied for their safety. The next poem that follows is Begin Again, and it follows a very similar pattern about discussing the experiences of women. In this poem, I'm recreating the relationship of an individual who's in an abusive, who's in an abusive relationship. I think it was important for me to convey the fact that there is a genuine love, at least from one individual. And in those type of relationships, the love that one has for another person can allow for a justification for such behaviors and make it extremely difficult for people to leave. It's important to recognize that most of the time, the relationship starts off at a good place and the abuser hides who he really is at the beginning to the point that they feel they can control the person that they're with. This is why I chose to start off the poem in, in a narrative style, describing the narrator's journey of falling in love with this individual and learning to trust him and share parts of themselves that they never thought of sharing with anyone else. And then delving into how the relationship changes when the abuser begins to show their true colors. It was important to highlight the fact that abusers can be very good at masking who they really are outside of the relationship. And so many friends and family members don't really notice what is going on. In writing this poem, I was thinking a lot about the statistics regarding guns in a domestic abusive relationship and how it increases the likelihood of a woman being murdered. An article reporting statistics about guns and women by Kate McDonough reported that women in the U.S. are 11 times more likely to be murdered with guns than other women in other high-income countries. And that the presence of a firearm during a domestic violence incident increases the likelihood of homicide by 500%. Yet, despite the research, the narrative that's often pushed is that firearms make women safe. This makes makes it important to consider why is it that despite research showing otherwise this narrative continues to be pushed I think it is highlighting that there's a more systemic capital driven murder of women by organizations that advocate for guns as a means of protection without regard of the patriarchal structure of our society such as the NRA and the American Legislative Exchange Council the kind of example I'm using in this poem, I think is best captured by my previous recommendation that I had made, which was Brittany Cooper, Smartest Man I Ever Knew, 
Like I mentioned before, the book is about a father who attempts to kill his wife after she leaves him because he was abusive and an alcoholic man. And it is no fact that after a woman leaves a relationship, the most dangerous time is the months and days after she leaves. So I think it's important to analyze the culture that teaches men that women are property and owe them loyalty to the extreme that if they betray them, they owe them their life as payment for that betrayal. The following poem called Parables in Bullet Shaped Holes and the hit you give little infant fucks everyone are both tackling the issues of a cycle of violence that is perpetuated currently in society and that we see through the use of guns and mass shootings, suicides, and violent altercations. The title, The Hate You Give Little Infants Fucks Everyone, is inspired by Tupac saying, Thug Life, that highlights a cycle of violence. Basically saying that when children grow up in toxic environments and violent environments, it can, in the long term, not only be damaging to the child, but also the larger community as it struggles to progress. This poem was written with thinking of a long history of glorifying violence. And I believe this poem can be interpreted in multiple ways, multiple ways. Whether we are talking about war and the consequences that it has on children, or whether we're looking at more of an American contemporary society. This poem was written with the experiences of children in high crime, low income areas, and as well as in larger society in terms of media consumption. It talks about, attempts to talk about how individuals like rapper or actors are idealized and learn to be seen as heroes. And then children absorb this and mimic this, whether it is because they idealize them or because they saw it as their way out. This kind of process shows an absorption of the violence around them and I think, uh, I think it unknowingly or knowingly leads to many deaths via guns as people learn to see guns as a reinforcement for masculinity, power, status. I think it's something that is very prominent in communities, um, including the romanticization of death. Everything that inspired this poem was another day Another Day in the Death of America by Gary Young, and in specific, the introduction, the story of Pedro Cortez and Tyshawn Anderson. They're both young men living in high crime rate neighborhoods who were murdered. The story of Tyshawn Anderson is very in particular, is very important in particular in talking about what inspired this poem, because here we see this young man who was exposed to violence growing up, and Young talks about how Anderson was looking for emotional support and as a result of having to grow up quickly and in attempting to find that, got involved in gangs, which eventually resulted in his death. 
the other poem called Parables and Bullshit Holes is tackling the the use of guns as a way for men to cope with grief um, to reinforce their masculinity and how that's often rooted in toxic masculinity being passed down that encourages the suppression of emotions and teaches a man that they're entitled to the world. This poem in particular was considering gun culture and the role it plays in communities, more specifically white communities, and how it has resulted in an increase of suicide and that in itself is a form of trauma to anyone surrounding the individual who committed suicide. The poem considers the reading Whiteness as Property by Cheryl Harris, who argued that whiteness operates as a form of property that allows white individuals to travel the world differently and with certain amounts of privilege. I think that this is conveyed through this poem because it is manifested in the entitlement that men feel, in particular white men. However, it is largely inspired by the book Dying of Whiteness by Jonathan Mensel. In this book, he talks about a staggering increase of suicide within pro-gun communities as well as a pattern of conservative white Republicans voting against their interest and how that is rooted in protecting this idea of having been threatened um, of their freedom being taken away. So this poem works to counteract the mentality, asking for young men to slow down and reconsider what's really happening how guns are playing a large role in this life and how it's contributing to this emotional stagnation. The poem, My Day in Immigration Court, is based off what the title hints at, which is the specific day where I attended immigration proceedings. That day, I was astonished at the way the detainees were treated. They were completely chained to feet and to hands. And hands, even though those individuals that day were only there for very simple violations and to decide whether they would be deported or not. That day was very clear that immigration court is extremely disorganized and there's no way it could be called a fair trial when the information isn't accessible to those detained, who often aren't informed about their resources or rights. It was extremely shocking to see that certain proceedings were done via web interface. The translator didn't even translate everything the judge said, only in particular sections. I decided to include this poem because even though it is vaguely related to what is being discussed, It highlights the reality that our legal system is deeply flawed and has the real real consequences of costing people's lives. A quote in particular that I would like to quote from in this poem is the line, A proud man, afraid of certain death in his home country, afraid of existing behind the bars of another, this, is, this line in particular brings to light the liminal stage that undocumented people encounter. 
of having to exist between or choose between death or a form of living death. Which makes me think about the U.S. role in the refugee crisis, more specifically Latin America, and their blatant disregard for how they continue to contribute to the violence in Central America and other countries. I say this thinking about the recent decision to move the regulation of international trades from the State Department to the Commerce Department that would result in a deregulation of the international arms trade. This is particularly problematic because the reality is that the United States imports a large percentage of guns from the U.S. to countries like Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala, which have large cartels and gangs organization that contribute to the political instability of those countries. The deregulation of those arms would mean easier accessibility for those criminal organizations, which would increase the death toll in those countries. Yet, despite the U.S. contributing to the crisis and arming and sustaining criminal organizations in Latin America through the sales of international arms, they refuse to acknowledge the pain and suffering of immigrants and the reality of the danger of gangs to the safety and well-being of people who are seeking asylum. It is for this reason I think it's important to include immigration as a lens to exploring the way guns are taking a role in the international community and within the U.S. And more specifically in regards to immigration, I think it highlights how the legal system and the laws of the United States can be used as a weapon against the marginalized. These thoughts were largely inspired by the article, The Link Between America's Lax Gun Laws and the Violence of U.S. Immigration by Jonathan Blitzer. The last and final poem is called All Those Crazy Southern People. As a Floridian myself, Orlando born and raised, I often find it problematic the limited perception of Southern people that is presented, and often by the left in an attempt to discredit conservatives and Republicans. I find this particularly problematic because it erases the reality of people of color who who live and are struggling and are actively working to make the South a better place in terms of racial justice, climate justice, gender justice, and so much more. In particular, Florida, who is often treated as a punchline to a joke while simultaneously disregarding what people are truly going through in terms of crime rates, poverty, and racism, etc. The poem tries to convey the very real reality that the South has this shameful and morally corrupt history of slavery, but at the same time, it has been used as an excuse for northern states to not deal with their racist systems, the profit off the exploitation of black and brown folks. The North has developed this white savior complex that has resulted in temporary amnesia that forgets that a lot of the current structures and past structures that contribute to the oppression of black and brown folks were enacted, with, were enacted in northern states, including Jim Crow, redlining, and ghettos. 
in attempting to hold the South accountable, the nation as a whole has failed to truly acknowledge that it's not just the South, even though the problems are more intense there regionally, but it's also the North, the West, and the West. This is so because racism is so embedded in American culture, law, government, way of life. However, it is a disservice to pretend the only the problem is only the South, that it is just a regional problem and not a federal problem, because it impedes progress in, re- in the restructuring of society as a whole. However, again, that is not to say that the South does not need to reflect and doesn't need to have a dismantling of these racist systems. This problem, this poem is also exploring these stereotypes of Southern folks about of Southern folks that are circulating in both academia and in the larger culture. In regards to there only being one type of Southerner, when the reality is that Southern people are not just white individuals. By operating on this logic, it strips citizenship from African Americans, indigenous folks, and immigrants. I included immigrants as citizens because they are productive members of society. And while the United States refuses to recognize their citizenship and contributions, the reality is that they are working, contributing members of society. So in this poem, I talk a little bit about how there's a lack of acknowledgement regarding the Latin and migrant communities throughout Florida, as well as African-American communities that are upholding the economy. As a result, you have this beautiful mixture of African-American communities and Latin communities, Asian-American communities. And what we see here is a creation of resilient people who are coming together. However, Southern people of color not only are lacking in representation, but are often only portrayed as examples of racist incidents or a flawed um, state system. This poem attempts to bring to light that Southern people of color deserve to be celebrated, to have their existence acknowledged as more than just being part of a deeply flawed state but are in fact doing amazing, powerful work to change laws, policies, and counteract what we are seeing currently in the South. Thank you for coming and staying to listen.